in Japan, it's actually prohibited for married couples to keep their names,、uh, separate names. And there's a law about that, and it's a huge controversy. Yeah, I know <laughs> we're that much behind.、Um, but you know, those uh, conservative um, Japanese people say, like, no, that brings unity to the family. Every family needs to have just one last name、um, to provide unity. Like, yes, that's important. Unity is important, but you don't have to have the same last name to have unity. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. How can we reconcile old notions of chivalry with modern expectations of gender equality? And can gender equality actually help men feel more free too? Do you really understand the daily privileges that men have over women? Well, in this episode, my guest is Japanese author Shu Matsuo Post. He and I mine these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Shu Matsuo Post is the author of a new book titled I Took Her Name. Now, Shu is a bit of an anomaly on my podcast, Men This Way, simply because I didn't really know of him personally before inviting him onto the podcast. Usually, my guests are actual friends or men that I've studied with for a time, whose work I've already been following and learning from for some time. And Shu is new to me. But if I'm going to continue this podcast and continue on my quest to discover the deeper wisdom that lives in the hearts of experienced men, then I've got to push beyond my known zone and have conversations with men I don't know at all. So, this episode is a first foray into that experience, and I'm excited to welcome Shu Matsuo Post all the way from Japan to be my first of the sort. I first heard about Shu's book from his publicist. It's titled I Took Her Name, and it's his personal story of taking his wife's last name after marriage, and in the context of a Japanese culture, really a world culture, that doesn't exactly hold that up as a smart option for men. Obviously, the predominant cultural expectation remains that a woman will take her husband's last name. It's still a bit edgy and uncommon these days for two people to marry and both keep their own last names. And that's very likely what Sylvie and I will do. When we finally get around to tying this knot, pandemic be damned. But never mind a man choosing to take his wife's last name. Still, when I first heard about Shu's book, honestly, my first thought was big deal. So what? He took his wife's last name. I grew up with two strong mothers, married to my two fathers. And while my stepmother never took my father's last name, and my stepfather benefited greatly from my mom having his last name because she was such a badass that she actually had a building in Maryland named after her for her humanitarian work. And of course, that building now carries his last name. Even though it was her 35 years of service that put his last name on that building. Anyway, this ain't the sole focus of our conversation. 
because what, at least to me, is far more interesting in Shu's journey, not to minimize his choice to take her last name, just to be clear, but what's far more interesting in his story is what he awakened to and what he learned through this journey fraught with various challenges that women face all the time, yet few men ever do, that he could only experience by taking his wife's last name. So, like all my episodes, our conversation wanders through a range of interesting territory, from a discovery of the privileges men actually do have over women in our daily lives, to modern questions around chivalry, such as, how do you open a door for a woman without being accused of sexism, to the surprising experience of freedom that can occur for us men as we learn to embrace and fight for gender equality. Now, before we dive in, one more thing that I do want to share with you that I'm very excited about personally is that my new book is now out. Choose Her Every Day or Leave Her, a guide for your journey through the transformational fires of love and intimacy. It's now out. Uh, It's an anthology of my teaching stories, enlightening insights, practical tools, and secrets to creating extraordinary relationship that should never be secrets in one beautifully bound and buttery red book that you can now own as you continue your own journey to thriving in love and intimacy. I'm super excited that this is out. It feels so good. It feels like a capstone on my work of the last 10 years. So I'm super excited. You can get free domestic U.S. shipping when you buy it at brianreeves.com book. It is available internationally as well. Um, right now you can get it on Kindle, uh, and soon it will be available on more platforms, including Apple Books, uh, Nook, etc. And again, you can get free domestic shipping at brianreeves.com book. It's Brian with a Y, reeves.com book. And if you're international and don't want to pay uh, high shipping costs, uh, just be patient. And by the time you listen to this episode, it might actually even already be available for print on demand in your country. So just check on Amazon or wherever you get your uh, books locally as well. It, it's coming soon. Promise. I'm so excited. Choose her every day or leave her. It's now out. All right. Back to my episode with Shu Matsuo Post. <sighs> Take a deep breath and stay present with us all the way through to Shu's five key takeaways at the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Shu Matsuo Post. I got that right? Post. Yeah, Shu Matsuo Post. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Men This Way, brother. Glad to have you, man. Welcome. Ryan, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, to be on your podcast. I've, I've been really excited about this. Likewise, man. I'm excited for the conversation we're going to have. But first, I want to, I, I, I understand you just had a son. Yes. Uh, when did that happen? Is it, this your first child? First child um, in September 2020. So he's, wow, um, man. yeah, four, four and a half months now as we and- record this incredible how are you holding up how how are you and the and the wife holding up how's it going for you um great so um i'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about this but i'm on my paternity leave so i decided to take some time off of work Mm. so we're tag team and full-time uh full-time adults taking care of one little tiny baby so um 
we're I'm very grateful for this time and and the support that we got from uh, my wife's family back in back in the U.S. when we were there until last okay. month, and uh, my family who um, who is in Tokyo um, supporting us. So. Amazing. Um, how does it feel to have a little boy? It's still kind of surreal to fully be responsible for another human being. Um, I still have that moment, like every day, almost like, oh my gosh, this little child is ours. I can't believe it. Um, And yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting and really cool feeling. Well, congratulations, man. Um, I, you know, my lady and I, we're calling in a, calling in a little one in the next year or two. Um, You guys just beat the pandemic. When you got pregnant, then I'm doing the math backwards. You had no idea (laughs) what was coming for you. Did you? (laughs) No, no idea. Yeah. So right before it, you know, it started. Um, yeah. Well, uh, again, man, congratulations. Sounds like everything's going smoothly so far. So far, knock on wood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. All right, man. Well, let's let's dive in. I'd love to uh, first get started by introducing you to our listeners from from your mouth, from your experience. And to do that, uh, I'd love to hear about a significant event or experience from your early life that played a fundamental role in shaping you as a man. Yeah, so thanks for the intro, Brian. Um, my name is Shu Matsuo Post, and I am from Japan, um, from this little town um, outside of Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought manhood was supposed to be a certain way. Um, growing up, because for those listeners who never been to Japan or who don't know too much about Japan, um, outside of Tokyo or big cities, um, I mean, it's very homogenous. Um, so people look the same, you know, we're all pretty much all Japanese. Uh, There's some diversity in cities, but where I grew up, um, there wasn't pretty much any diversity. So, you know, I thought I had to be a certain way as a boy, as a man, you know, just those stereotypical uh, masculine, like being tough, uh, never cry, you know, don't show your emotions, uh, because that is amazing how universal that is, right? Yeah. Amazing how universal that, I mean, despite your lack of diversity, as you said, just outside of Tokyo, well, geez, man, I mean, that's the, you know, suburbs of Washington, DC in the United States. It's the same thing, man. We did, Mm -hmm. we would, we, anyway, so keep, keep going, man. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, winning at all costs and like being a man, like you mm-hmm. said, it's, it was like a, this idea that I was so conditioned to believe and I didn't think anything outside of it. And, and it wasn't like my parents or my dad was like constantly telling me or anything like that. It was through the media. It was through like the school, uh, what I observed from society and all that stuff. And I just felt like I needed to be a protector and a provider all the time and did you have any brothers or sisters i i have an older brother yeah oh, uh interesting so yeah uh, what's the what's the age difference uh four years four so, years older brother so four years not, older brother yeah and was he i mean was he modeling that behavior as well i mean was he was he beaten up on you was he close to you was he protecting he, you he was pretty close to me yeah i guess he was uh, a good protector because um, mm-hmm. he was a little bit older than me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, four years is pretty significant when you're little. And mm-hmm. he and I wanted to be like him. 
Mm. It's like, oh man, you know, he's doing this for me. So I feel like I need to be that for other others who might mm -hmm. be in need. So like I, I thought I thought that I needed to be physically tough, um, you know, make a bunch of money and I know be attractive to, you know, mm -hmm. girls and women. Yeah. by being confident and funny and like unpredictable and all those things and you know that really changed uh when i met my now wife uh, about seven years ago and she was the first person that seriously questioned the way i played my traditional gender norms that i believed in and that got me really thinking about why i did the things i did as a boy and as a man and i think that really led me to who i am today as a man so how old were you when you met her? Late 20s. Uh, how old was I? 28, 29. So that was 2000, yeah, 14, 29-ish. And, yeah. and you met her where? In Hong Kong. Now, yeah. you say, so here's this American woman, clearly, you know, strong American woman with her own mind about things. Uh, you just said, you just glossed over something that I yeah. want to just just kind of lean into a little bit sure. <laughs> because you made it sound so easy. She's, you know, I met her and, and she challenged my ideas about manhood and all this. And then, Oh, like I changed and no, 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 no. Come on, man. You got, <laughs> there had to have been some resistance. There had to have been some kind of like, like, like tell, come on, bring us into that a little bit more. Okay. All right. So let me go back a little bit. So I grew up in Japan and I moved to the U S um, at the age of 15. So I lived in the U.S. for about eight years. You know, I went to okay. high school there. Okay. I went to uh -huh. college there and worked there a little bit before coming back to Japan as a young okay. adult. And, you know, when I came back, uh, I think I was 23, 22, 23. Um, mm -hmm. Since I had spent mm -hmm. about eight years of my adolescence, majority of my adolescence in another country, I didn't feel like I was just like a fully Japanese um, anymore. Mm, and I was okay. kind of like losing my identity. I thought I kind of lost my identity and I didn't know who I was. So I, I was pretty desperate to get out of Japan again so that I could be for, a foreigner again. And I luckily I got an opportunity to move to Hong Kong with an employer at the time. So mm. I did. And that was back in 2012. Mm. And, you know, when I moved there, I didn't know too much about the city. And I thought I was just going to be there for like a couple of years to experience an, a different city in Asia. But I love the city's energy um, mm -hmm. and diversity yeah. and all that. Have you been to Hong Kong? I, I have, yeah, yeah, a couple of yeah. times. Yeah. Nice. So I actually ended up staying there for five years. And about halfway into my stay in Hong Kong, um, I met my wife. And at the time, you know, just kind of going back to my college days too, I was so desperate for attention, especially from um, women, because mm -hmm. I um, didn't feel like I could attract anybody. Mm. And I had my uh, bunch of rejections and I got, I learned that I got rejected every time I kind of opened up my, opened up my heart uh, mm. too soon. And, and I, really hurt <laughs> mm -hmm. now, obviously every rejection uh, whether it's romantic or mm -hmm. you know career or whatever it, it hurts and I associated um, opening up my heart or being emotional with uh, with pain and that's when I kind of started to read uh, those like dating books that were kind of popular back then and I was like oh my gosh um, showing your emotions is not a good thing as you know, if you want to attract women. And that's what I interpreted 
Um, okay. Yeah. That was like, a, you know, kind of reading surface level, you know. Yeah. Almost, almost the, sounds more like, more like pickup books. Yeah, exactly. Pickup artist kind of books. Yeah. 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 And I, at the time, all I wanted was, I just wanted to succeed with, um, I yeah. guess, picking up women, um, very shallow and surface level, but you know, just to be honest, that's what I wanted back then. Well, I mean, I mean, every guy wants to be powerful with women. Exactly. We or or you know, anyway, whoever we're attracted to, we want to know like any. I mean, that's a, such a normal human desire. Yeah. I think, where, you know, the the pickup artist world, what 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 I often remark is, you know, pickup artists may may tell us how to get the girl, but they have no idea what to do with her once we have mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, so I can, I mean, I can very much relate to you or what you're sharing. Like I never really dove into that world. Um, but man, you know, the primal part of me that wants to just have my way with a woman or to be attracted to fuck. Yeah, of course that exists. I think there just don't, haven't been very many healthy teachers. I don't know healthy teachers, but, but exactly. mature, mature role models for how to really do that in a way that is not dis, uh, Dis, dis disempowering to mm-hmm. or ex, or exploitative of of a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so here you are. Okay, you're 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 checking out that world. Yeah. So by the time I got to Hong Kong, I was in my mid twenties, and you know I was single. And Hong Kong is like so diverse. Uh, with mm-hmm. you know you meet people from all over the world, and I really love that. And you know I I was kind of just meeting people left and right. And I just, every relationship that I had was so, I I just felt like it was so transactional. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was having fun, but I Mm. couldn't even connect with those people, you know, the the women I was dating or Mm -hmm. even myself um, deeply enough to to feel um, like something special. And that's actually when I met my now wife. um, And... You know, she was, I, I knew immediately she was different from any other women that I dated. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that she like challenged, she attacked me um, as a feminist or anything like that. She just questioned um, mm-hmm. with curiosity. She questioned me with curiosity. Like, hey, mm-hmm. why do you do these things? You know, um, for, example, for example, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I learned from one of those books that, you know, as a man, it's important <laughs> to pay for your dates, especially in the earlier, early, mm-hmm. earlier days, like the first mm-hmm. few days, make sure you pay, you know, mm-hmm. take care yeah. of your lady or whatever. Yeah. And I didn't think twice about it, like the why behind it. Um, so I tried to do that. And she, she thanked me, like she was nice about it. But she asked mm-hmm. me like, Hey, can I ask why you do these things? Um, mm-hmm. What, 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 um, why do you feel the need to do or pay for the meals every time we go out for dinner or lunch or whatever? And I was like, Oh, I thought that was what I was supposed to do. And I thought women enjoyed it. And she was like, well, yeah, thank you. It's a nice gesture, but I'm also working. I'm making money too. So I don't really need it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then another good example is walking along the sidewalk. Um, closest the street, to the street side of the sidewalk. Yeah, street side of the sidewalk. Yeah, I know this to, one. Yep. Yeah, to, pr- to protect your date, right? And in Hong mm-hmm. Kong, the streets are so narrow. And then the sidewalks mm-hmm. are like so close to the, the traffic. Mm-hmm. So that was my So it makes more sense. Here. In a way, yeah. it makes more sense in Hong yeah. Kong than it does in the US where our streets and sidewalks are massive. Yeah. And that's, places. 
a nice gesture if you're if that's like a natural positioning of you know when how you're walking but if you're if you're doing it every single time you're walking which in hong kong you walk everywhere mm -hmm. um it it became like kind of unnatural to me mm. like i would walk out of an apartment or a restaurant mm -hmm. and then like make my way out to get to the other side um so that i felt like i was able to protect her physically mm -hmm. too mm -hmm. and so, you know she was like hey thanks for doing this but can i ask why you're doing this mm. and i was like oh I, i thought i had to do it because i read that in that in dating yeah. books but i never really thought about it um so you know those questions really made me made me think like yeah why do i do these things am i actually offending some people by doing this way so. yeah so um you know what, what comes up for me as you're sharing that because i can so relate to that journey of 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 although i never did the things because i thought i had to at least not mm -hmm. those types of things yeah in fact because um, I never read those dating books, but what I did grow up with was strong mothers. Right. Well, I already knew they didn't need me to do any of that shit. They didn't need mm -hmm. their men to do any of that stuff. So I just sort mm -hmm. of ingested that and I was like, oh, I guess I don't need to do any of that. And I was initially, fun and funny enough, I, I, would be I would be offended if a woman didn't offer to pay her you know, half of dinner on a first date. I wouldn't let her most likely but mm -hmm. a part of me was like if she doesn't even at least reach for the wallet I, she's well, i'm done <laughs> <laughs> but see now man see i've had an evolution around that um same with the street side of the sidewalk i dated a woman from uh, south america who was very sort of sh chivalrous in her thinking right. but it was very uh, obligatory like i have to do those things like you, you said both times i just thought mm -hmm. i was supposed to do that And again, I think it's very mm -hmm. cultural too. In America, you know, we, we very much value independence. Mm -hmm. And so I think any any sort of that obligation put onto my shoulders, even by a woman, was met with, oh, hell no. Uh-uh. I'm not doing the obligation stuff. Mm -hmm. But I realized, you know, Shu, in my case, I just had a lot of angry women in my presence. Mm. Because I was very sort of independent minded and, and you know not my own evolution and i'm curious to, to know what you think about this because my own evolution is you know when i before i met my partner sylvie as i was dating for i was in my late 30s by this time and, and mm -hmm. i was dating and i absolutely paid for every date i went on not because i was obligated but because i could mm -hmm. and because it was a joy it was an offering not an obligation right Right. And same walking on the street side of the sidewalk. I get what you mean. Like it can feel unnatural. Like I'm forcing something that just is like, come on, man, I'm putting on a show now rather than, you know, really just being generous with my giving. Mm -hmm. And so now, like, you know, again, I have a different relationship to all that. So I'm curious what you think about that. Um, you know, yeah. What do you think about that? Like, where are you in your, in your experience of, let's say, paying for dinner or walking on the street side of the sidewalk, all that stuff? Yeah, I think it's it's a great gesture. So I talk about chivalry in my book as well. So chivalry mm -hmm. is a nice gesture, like being kind, being gentle to mm. um, basically your uh, women, right? But if you're only being nice or kind to one gender because they are women, mm. I think that's sexist. Like you, 
I think being generous, being kind, um, you can extend that to anybody that you want to. And you don't have to feel like you're obligated to do that, obviously, like you said. Mm -hmm. But if you feel like you're, you want to do it and you can't do it, I think you should do it to not just for your dates or significant others, but other people who might be in need. Um, maybe that might be an old man who, um, who needs some support, financial support or physical support. You know, it might be a younger, um, younger boy who mm. might need that. So it's not about the gender, but it's not, it's about who needs that support from you. Mm. And I think it's being generous is a, it's a beautiful thing. Mm. How, well, how about the things like, uh, for example, you know, walking on the street side of the sidewalk, like I am not going to extend that to my guy friends when we're hanging out. I'm not going to walk on the street side of the side. Like he can walk on the street goddamn side of the sidewalk. <laughs> like we both, he got, whereas with my woman, with my partner, and by the way, when I say my woman, I'm just talking poetically. I yeah, don't mean yeah. that literally. Yeah. Um, just poetically. It's, it's poetry. My, my woman, my lady. So I feel... Um, I experience, as does she, a um, a a a real, you know, a, it's like a, a a polarity creating exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, driving. Same uh, when we go to get in a car, whether mine mm -hmm. or hers, no matter who's driving, I open mm -hmm. the door for her, mm -hmm. not because I have to. Not because, she, you know, if she were to stand there and just kind of look at me and tap her toes, like, you know, like waiting for me to do it with annoyance, I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But she allows me because she knows that I, I feel good in the offering of it. Mm -hmm. And I and and I offer it partly because it feels good in the offering of it and partly because I know it feels good for her in the receiving of it. Mm -hmm. Again, none of it done out of obligation, done out of yeah. really an honoring of a, of a polarity of a of a. Yeah, of a reverence that we have for our for our dynamic. And again, I, I don't prescribe that for anybody. It works for us. Yeah, I think that's the beautiful thing. It works for you and your partner. Yeah. Um, and if it doesn't work out for other couples, like that's fine as well. I think it's, um, you know, we got we to gotta be mindful of what works for whom. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't want to tell anybody, like, hey, just because I believe in this, like you should do it too. Um, it might not work out for other people, and that's okay. It's uh, it's by you know, like choice. Choice is what's what's mo most important. I think. I, I agree with you, and though in my experience, I, I mm -hmm. think a lot of people don't even talk about this stuff. Mm. You know, they so mm -hmm. like they're not making choices. They're just doing. They're just winging it. They're doing things by default. You know, like I, I go home to the East mm -hmm. Coast to, to some of my family. And for example, there's a, a, a woman in my family. I'll, I'll leave her nameless in this and unidentifiable, but I'll open the door for her. Same. Someone very I'm very close to. Mm -hmm. And she kind of looks at me like, well, what are you doing? She loves it at the same time because it, it sort of, oh, she kind of gets her feeling a little girly and. And I guess, I mean, I'm kind of putting words on, but I can just see like her, her, she, her body, the feedback I get from her, she enjoys it. Now her partner doesn't do that for her mm -hmm. and her partner in all these ways is in many ways is kind of checked out emotionally and, and affectionately. And, and so, but they don't have these conversations. 
Right. And I think so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just want to put a little nuance on that shoot because I'm with you, man. No one solution ex- um, works for everybody. Right. But I also think that it's important like to, that we talk about these things in our, mm-hmm. in our, in our, so that we are, can make actual choices. Yeah. Yeah. What do you Absolutely. think? Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're totally right. I think having those conversations, like ne- even, um, you might, you feel like you might know your partner, like you yeah. still need to communicate. You need to have those conversations. Um, I think one of your guests said, you know, having a soulmate doesn't mean that you don't have to talk about anything because right. you know soulmates are supposed to get everything right but yeah, i yeah. completely agree with them um you still need to communicate like it's a different human being like you, you can't totally. um, it's hard to know yourself like how can you understand others right um, without communicating of so course. yes like yeah. i think having those conversations is so crucial yeah i want to um pivot to your your book a little bit and your and really your your experience Mm-hmm. you you said something so i uh, i didn't uh, so I've, I've i've looked at some of your book i haven't gone through most of it but i you know i wanted to get a sense before our conversation and you said something really interesting in the in the in the very beginning and i want to explore this a little bit yeah. um this is what you say i'm probably the first man with an mba to tell you how much i've gained from changing my surname after my marriage through my name-changing journey, I've gotten a glimpse into a woman's world. This new perspective has given me the courage to confront gender expectations, embrace vulnerability. And this, this last part, especially, I want to I really explore with you. Mm-hmm. And find a level of freedom I didn't even know I could achieve. So here, here's why that's really meaningful to me and why I'm, I'm really curious about this. Mm-hmm. Because um, when I first learned of your book and your journey and your decision around your partner's you know, taking your partner's last name when you got married and mm-hmm. and granted I, I i don't know japanese culture so i don't really understand the context within which that choice exists I, you know i'm born and raised here in america i've traveled but again i don't that's a very there's a different context mm-hmm. there was a part of me that was kind of like okay you, so you took her last name so what <laughs> great you know so what big deal yeah. um and again look culturally contextually even in america it's still a big fucking deal to take your to have your wife's last name for a man it's still a big deal but still again i grew up surrounded by feminists and i'm a feminist and uh, i'm a man loving feminist and um uh you know my partner will get married she probably won't take my name and i'm fine totally fine with that uh, nor will I take hers though. I think mm-hmm. we haven't even talked about whether I would take hers. So there's clearly some bias going on there, admittedly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what really fascinated me about that particular statement is I found a level of freedom. That's the, the masculine core value, freedom. Mm-hmm. How the fuck did you find a level of freedom that you didn't even know you could achieve through this journey of taking your wife's last name? Yeah. Um, thank you. And, uh, you know, it took me such a long time to decide whether I was going to actually write about this and publish it to the world because I had the same thought like, okay, I mean, there have been some men out there who took their wife's name. I'm not the first one. So right, what's right. the, what's the big 
freaking deal. Yeah. Um, but it was about the experience that I had through this journey. Mm-hmm. And what I actually decided to do after the name, you know, I took my name, um, my wife's name as well. Um, so in short, I, you know, I, I felt like I was trapped in this man box, um, this masculinity, like I have to be this, this man mm-hmm. um, to be considered successful by society, by um, my family or my, mm-hmm. my friends. And that was all in my head obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned earlier, like being stoic, uh, being having a very successful career, um, you know, being in a good relationship or, you know, controlling your emotions, like not showing your emotions because you're supposed to dominate like all the time and you're supposed to be very consistent with uh, who you are, with your, especially with your emotions. And I really lived with that. Um, for the first three decades of my life. And I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. You know, I still felt the sense of freedom. Um, But going through this process made me realize that, oh, you know, I don't, okay, sorry, let me go back a little bit. You know, um, I've always wanted to get married or be with someone uh, for the rest of my life. Um, but I never thought about changing my name either, um, because in my society and in America too, every, uh, every most, society that I'm yeah, every of. society, yeah, yeah, most of the times it's the it's the wife who ends up taking the husband's name. Yeah. So in Japan, it's actually uh, prohibited for married couples to keep their names uh, separate names. Mm-hmm. And there's a law about that, and it's wow. a huge controversy. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're that much behind um but you know those uh, conservative um japanese Mm. people say like no that brings unity to the family Mm. every family needs to have just one last name um to provide unity like Mm. yes that's important unity is important but you don't have to have the same last name to have unity Mm. it's 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 about the uh what the family values that's my opinion but anyway and and is it is it legal to take the woman's last name yeah yeah, so that so so the law just says you can't have you you must combine into one name. That's what the law says. It doesn't specify it has to be a man's name, but it also doesn't. But it also, but I imagine culturally that's the practice. Right. So ninety six percent of the time, it's the wife who ends up taking the husband's name in Japan because mm-hmm. someone has to change their name, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's what, what I would imagine. I'm just sorry to interrupt. I'm just trying to really understand the cultural aspects of this, too. I, I would imagine my mind is thinking, well, OK, in those four percent, might it be something like where maybe the woman's family name yeah. has more cash, has more mm-hmm. pull, has more Ex- status? Exactly. Yeah. And so um, that's why the, the, a man from maybe a lower status situation would take her name. Yeah. So, so that's he, my interpretation. I think that's, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, applies to most cases, um, probably not all, but most cases, I think so. Which is still um, a very patriarchal idea of things. Like, cause it's all about status, hierarchy, if power. I take this net power, exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah, interesting, yeah. And my wife and I, we had a different opinion about this. We wanted to keep our identity because my name was Matsuo, which was an important identity of mine. 
and her name was Pulse, which was super important to, to her as well. Um, and I knew she wasn't going to just take my name once we got married, which I was fine with. Mm -hmm. um, but that kind of made me realize like, yeah, if you really think about it, if we actually lived in gender equal world, this, I, like, I shouldn't have to feel this way. Mm -hmm. um, I shouldn't have to be like, whoa, you're not going to take my name? Um, because mm -hmm. I don't think women expect men to take her name, right? So yeah. I was like, that, that was kind of like a, the beginning of the journey. Um, and, you know, we wanted to actually uh, combine our last names so that our future children could have the same last name as well. So we wanted to have unity that way. So that's what we decided to do. And uh, changing my name in the U.S., our name in the U.S. was pretty simple. We just had to submit the paperwork to the city, um, city hall, and that was it. And in Japan, where my home country, it was, um, it was quite different. Um, I had to actually go to the family court to plead my case because you can't combine last names in Japan legally. Mm -hmm. So luckily, I married a foreigner. So, you know, um, she was able to change her name in her home country first. Mm -hmm. So her name was already Matsuo Post when mm -hmm. I decided to take her name. Um, so I ended up taking her name uh, uh, in Japan. So that was kind of like the, the loophole. <laughs> if you're if i married a japanese national another japanese individual i wouldn't have been able to do it um uh, it would have had to be like matsuo or the, the or person's the, name right, or the right. other yeah and obviously after that i had to change my passport um mm -hmm. credit cards and all, all that stuff and it's um let me tell you it's not a pleasant experience it's um it's a lot of work. Um, it takes a lot of time out of your day. It takes a, a lot of energy <laughs> from you. And as a man, I never thought about that. And most men don't have to go through that process, mm, right? And right. that's just changing your name. Mm. And to me, that's male privilege. Like mm. for, for men mm. to not have to worry about that. Mm. Um, and there are so many other things that uh, totally. men don't have to worry about but women do have to worry about like when how they yeah. dress for for work how they dress to go out um you know whether they're gonna come back to work after having kids um or what's gonna happen to their career um if they take time off um after caring for children most men don't have to worry about that um so that's like the beginning of my journey of, yeah well i'm also even just thinking about what you said you went through with the passport, I imagine license, some certain other things. I, I mean, when you break up as a man, when we break up, okay, yeah, there's a lot of shit we got to go through, but we don't have to change, you know, especially in a marriage, we don't have to then redo our whole name identity mm -hmm. as, as a woman will often have to do when, or choose to do but have to do anyway, she'll do has to go through that to reclaim her own identity, her own last name or yeah. It's true. Like that's not even a consideration for us men, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, after a, a failed marriage, mm -hmm. so I mean, just a just an added layer of complexity onto being a woman. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, man. I mean, that's that is the definition definition of privilege. Like I don't have to deal with some of the shit you have to deal with. <laughs> that's privilege. Yeah, exactly. That's it right there. Yeah. So that's what I realized. And 
And that got me thinking like, wow, I was like, I had no idea about this. Uh, what else is there? And then that's mm -hmm. when I started to do the research and I found more male privileges. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think patriarchy is what's creating these rigid gender norms in every culture, right? Um, because patriarchy is set up, uh, it's a system that favors men to, to not be, have to think about, you know, those things so that they can focus on gaining power or being more successful in their career or whatever that might be. Um, are, are there some other areas that really stood out for you? Um, yeah, in the workplace, I think, um, you know, I briefly mentioned about, you know, women, a lot of mothers have to think about what's going to happen to their career if they mm -hmm. decide to take time off where mm -hmm. most men don't have to think about, you know, they don't take paternity leave or whatever. And I think that's, that's what's causing like the, the gender gap at the top of uh, mm -hmm. every organization. You know, if you take a look at the workforce, you know, almost 50% of the workforce is women. Um, so you feel like it's an equal, you know, di diversity is represented. But if you look at the senior leadership or even CEO positions, it's usually men. Um, I think it's only like 5% of S&P 500 companies, uh, CEOs are female. And I think that has to do with um, childcare. Most mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people decide to have children in their maybe 20s, 30s, or 40s, right? And um, naturally, more women decide to take time off. And when they come back, um, they're, and then if the men don't take time off, they have more experience for that time where women, um, it's kind of yeah. behind, right? Sure. Um, so if that happens everywhere in, in this world, obviously, there's going to be more gap. Um, especially in that um, in that stage, yeah. and that creates more um, gap at the top. And when there's sorry, one one, one last point. Yeah, and yeah, when please. there's um, only male representation or lack of diversity at the top, you know they're the ones that are making the policies and rules for their their organizations, um, let alone countries, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think those men or those people are trying to. Um, <clears throat> trying to discriminate per se, but they just don't have the perspective of the other groups yeah. uh, like women or minorities. So I think it's really important to have those representations at the top so that they can be in the conversations of different perspectives, what they go through yeah. so that, you know, the rules and policy that they make will be more equal and fair to everyone. Yeah, it's kind of, it's really an ironic tragedy because I mean research bears out that when women are participating in leadership whether in companies or in economies or countries th those companies and economies fare better even during this pandemic I was really um, you know I wasn't surprised that the countries that navigated the pandemic the best in many cases were run by women mm -hmm. You know, New Zealand, yeah. uh, the prime minister there. I mean, mm -hmm. I, so, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, man. One of the biggest privileges that stands out for me, if I, if I may share, is the fact that, um, and I saw this at a, a, a Tony Robbins workshop that I had attended many years ago, his date with destiny, when he mm -hmm. asks this question um, uh, of the audience. Uh, first, he asks men, how many of you have felt unsafe? in the last week 
just unsafe, like walking through the street in the last week. Out of, you know, 2,000 men, maybe five hands went up. Mm-hmm. And then he asks the women, how many of you women have felt unsafe in the last week? Every single fucking hand belonging to a woman in that audience with 2000 hands shot up. I mean, that moment was a, that was a moment of revelation for me. Mm -hmm. Cause again, just as a man, you know, I mean, when am I really in danger? Sure. Sometimes here and there, but yeah, for the most part, nah. Whereas my partner, like she goes out, she goes for a walk, walking with a dog or something. A car just drives by. She's mindful of, are they slowing down? Are they turning around? Mm-hmm. What's going on? She's constantly evaluating her safety. And where for me, it's just, you know, I'm immediately mostly just dismissing that as a danger. And even if they turn around, I'm sizing up the driver. If it's a woman or just a regular, it's okay, done. I, I know I'm cool. Everything's good. Like she, mm-hmm. I, I don't even think about that most of the time. Mm-hmm. So that's a form of privilege right there. That's yeah. Absolutely. And can you imagine like going through that every single day, like every hour? That's a, that's exhausting. And it's just, yeah, yeah not right. Yeah. Did, did you face any uh, resistance from family or, or friends or colleagues, uh, any pushback from the people around you when you were to going take, through this, your wife's name? Yeah. To take my wife's name? Um, no, not really. Actually, my parents have been super supportive. Um, my parents and I have been very open since I was, I was little. And that's something that I'm, um, that I'm, I, that I'm super glad that I've always had. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've been communicative, uh, ever since, you know, I started dating, uh, my wife, my now wife, Tina, um, like, Hey, I met this woman and, you know, we're becoming pretty serious and they met her early on. Um, you know, told her, I uh, told them, you know, when we got engaged and all that stuff. So they kind of knew this was coming. Um, cause I, yeah. they knew what kind of a person she was. So they were, they weren't surprised. Um, so they were pretty supportive of my decision to take her name and why I wanted to do it. And her parents were also very supportive as well. Um, my friends, my close, my, my closest friends, they knew, they knew who, who I was. So they they were pretty supportive as well. The people that weren't that close to me, they, they had a lot of questions. Like, why, why are you doing this? Like, why did you change your name? I'm like, why not? <laughs> so that I took that as an opportunity to kind of share my story. Yeah. Um, and then when I do, uh, they're like, Oh, okay, that's cool. I didn't know that you could do that. Or I didn't know about an, another man who did that. So that's, that's nice of you. So, um, not much of a backlash, but more about more like questions. And, uh, yeah, when I have time, um, I take the time to kind of share my story so that they can understand the why behind it. Yeah. And so, uh, how has then writing this book, like how has that changed things for you? Has it opened doors to new conversation? Obviously, I mean, you and I are here doing this, uh, when when did the book actually come out? December first, twenty twenty. So oh, so just a ago. couple months, man. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. So it's a it's a brand new. It's really a new experience for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, legitimately, just say congratulations. That is no small task to bring a book to publication. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, yeah. yeah, opened up a lot of doors. You know, I'm talking to you, and if I didn't have my book, I don't know if this would have happened. Yeah. Um, and I've met um, a lot of like-minded men, actually. There are so many men who support feminism and gender equality and fighting mm -hmm. for, you know, men's mental health and all that stuff, you know, dismantling patriarchy. And, uh, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people since yeah. um, um, I published I published yeah. my book. Yeah, let's talk for a moment about the idea of of, of feminism, because you mm -hmm. I, I saw that you do talk about that in your book, and um, that you had as well an evolution around this idea of of feminist and feminism, and you know it's interesting. I I, I personally have never had the objections to. I, I guess I've always had a positive association to feminism. My mom is very feminist, and mm -hmm. she, she doesn't hate men. Um, I just never had that association, but I understand why it's out there. I understand that it's out there and that, um, but I'm, I'm curious for some of our listeners who, um, you know, may still have a complicated relationship to this idea of feminism and, 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 and being a feminist or especially as men, let, let's blow that out of the water, man. What does really being a feminist mean to you, particularly as a man? It means, um, fighting for gender equality that's so that's feminism and being a feminist is it's calling out sexism um you know if i i think this world is set up to be it's a it's a patriarchal world which is sexist so if you're not speaking up or if you're not challenging that system technically you know you're a part of the sexism so feminism is calling out those sexism in in your life, in everyday life, um, and that's the work I'm in. I'm I'm by no means I'm not perfect. You know, I've had opportunities to call out some sexist comments, and I haven't, I couldn't do it, um, whatever that mm -hmm. reason. So mm -hmm. that's something that I'm um, I'm working on. But I think it's important, especially for men, to take the stand. To call out those sexist comments so that we're you know lifting up women um and you know when we do that we're lifting up humanity it's actually it's going to benefit um it's going to benefit men as well men it's going to have a lot of benefits from this gender equal movement because um kind of going back to your original question of the, f the kind of freedom i achieved it's mm -hmm. the freedom from the gender expectations as a man mm -hmm. um you I feel like I can explore masculinities, masculine qualities, and also feminine qualities as well. I never really associated myself with being emotionally expressive or like caring or empathetic. But now I see those traits as such important qualities of being a good human. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that's freedom. Like I, I don't have to care about what other people think about me when I, mm -hmm. um, when I'm empathetic, when I'm, you know, um, crying, you know, <laughs> um, or things like that. So, yeah, I think a lot of men can benefit from feminism too. I, I'm with you, man. I, I'm a total feminist, and again, you know, I, I think I think the I think the problem 
or or the or the mistake or the misunderstanding that a lot of men and some women get around feminism is that it's an either or proposition. We either put men on a pedestal or we put women on a pedestal. Hmm. You know, if we're going to put women on a pedestal, that means men don't get to be on a pedestal. And I just I'm like, let's just blow up the fucking pedestals altogether. We don't mm-hmm. need pedestals anymore. Um, and and I think um, you know, I think it takes. It's especially in the context within which we live, it takes it takes the biggest balls to be supportive and call out our own privilege, to be supportive of women and calling out our, where our privileges exist. And, and as you say, like helping helping ensure gender equality, which, you know, I, I like to add the nuance. It's not gender sameness. It's just gender equality. Mm hmm. In the same way that no, you know, you and me, Shu, we are not the same. We, you and I are totally equal, man, but we are mm-hmm. not the same, you mm-hmm. and I. Yeah. Same, just equal doesn't mean same. Mm-hmm. You know, men and women, and, you know, again, that's a whole other conversation, non-binary, this, that. We're not going to go into that conversation right now. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think, I think we can preserve uh, um, room for differences, Mm-hmm. And still fight for equality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're all different, and the differences um, are beautiful, and we should embrace the differences. Yeah. And we can still be inclusive and um, enjoy equality. Um, to your point, so it's not it's not this it's not like being the same. It's like yeah. embracing the differences. I think that's yeah. what equality is. Yeah. Yeah. Embracing the differences is equality. I love that, actually. I, I like that. Thanks, right. Embracing our differences is what is like a, is the gateway to equality. I mm-hmm. like that. That's our. Cool. That's our. That's our. We we created that together. Beautiful. Well <laughs> nice. done. Well done. Um, well, uh, Shu, let's wrap up with uh, the five key takeaways. All right. Curious to hear um, how this flows uh, through you. you. You're born in, and raised in Japan, spent some time in the U.S., um, still, in, but now back living in Japan, just outside of Tokyo, mm-hmm. uh, raising a, a, a little boy. Um, so let's 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 see what kind of dad wisdom you got flowing through <laughs> you. <laughs> Five key takeaways. Um, number one, key insight. What's the one key insight that you would offer listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? Confront gender expectations or any societal expectations that are not serving you. And when you let them go, you feel freer. Hmm. That's the key word, man. Freedom. Like Mm -hmm. guys, we're always talking about freedom. I mean, wow, who would have thought you could find an aspect or a, a real experience of freedom through confronting the gender insanity we mm-hmm. live with and in our own ways uh, perpetuate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Key mentor, name another man that you've been inspired by, living or dead, that you would recommend our listeners to learn more about. Can I name two? Sure. For this, so the first one, um, he's a famous actor. Um, his name is Justin Baldoni. Oh, and Justin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like. I have a huge crush on this guy because yeah. he's just like such he's a good dude, man. He's amazing. Good dude. Um, beautiful dad, and yeah. um, and his TED talk 
um, is yeah. super beautiful. It's called uh, Why I'm Done Trying to Be a Man Enough. And yeah, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful one. And the second person mentor of mine um, is, um, he's a friend of mine, actually. His name is Jason Basanemek, and he's a writer and has this awesome newsletter, subscription-based newsletter. Um, and he talks a lot about um, feminism, actually, and diversity and inclusion. And he's yeah. also a bartender as well. So it's oh, called- Of course, uh, of course he is. Ideas Over Drinks. So Ideas Over Drinks, that's his yeah. book? That's his uh, um, newsletter subscription. His newsletter, got it. Yeah, so highly recommend you to And how do you spell uh, his name? Subscribe. Jason. So, yeah, I got um, that. Basa, B-A-S-A. Oh, okay, super simple. Nemec, uh, N-E-M-E-C. Okay, so not Two names simple. like me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. Jason Basa Nemec. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, third key resource, your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of the last year. Last year, right? Yeah, I thought about this. So, so I have one movie and one book. Is that okay? Sure. Yep. So the movie is uh, this French film called "I'm Not an Easy Man." Have you watched it? I've heard of it. Mm -mm. It's um, it's really um, interesting, entertaining actually. So it's uh, it's about this man in france um who's like kind of it's like the, the macho guy right and he mm -hmm. runs into a, a light um light pole or and then he hits oh, his I head i think i have heard of this yeah yeah and Go he ahead. wakes up to uh, the um what's the opposite word of patriarchy matriarchy 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 world uh, where women have have the power over men, That's and funny. he just can't believe it. It's like, oh, this is not what I'm used to, and <laughs> kind of gives us men a new perspective of what it's like to, you know, be that sex. So be exploited and objectified, exploited. and yeah, exactly. that's right. Yeah. yeah, and then the the book is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's a pretty popular, famous one, yeah. and she's just an awesome writer. Um, I really like her writing style and it's super inspirational for both women and men. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Untamed. Yeah. My, uh, my lady, she has that book here. Leave it at the mm -hmm. house. Number four, key investment in the last year. What's the best thing you spent money on? And we're going to go actually under $1,000. $1,000. Okay. You might've been like just around 1000 bucks, but, um, I'd say a trip to, uh, Minneapolis to spend four months with my parents-in-law. Hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm taking seven months off of work for my paternity leave and to take care of our newborn. And uh, we decided to, my wife and I decided to take the first four months with her family. Um, so we were there um, during the pandemic as well. Um, but I really got to know uh, my parents-in-law. I've obviously met them many times, but it was mm -hmm. the first time to spend that much time together. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really cool um, you, to get yeah, to know them. And I don't imagine you couldn't really go many places. Right. So we were just like kind of stuck in their place and didn't do much um, yeah. other than just hanging out with them. And but it was it was really um, I had a very quality time with them. So beautiful. Yeah. 
Okay, finally, uh, key practice. Please offer one practice, spiritual, creative, personal, or relational that has served you well and that you challenge our listeners to take on for even just the next seven days. Yeah, it's it sounds almost like a cliche, uh, but like having, uh, having your own morning routine um, has really served me. Um, so my morning routine consists of uh, meditation, uh, journaling, uh, reading and exercising before my son wakes up now, uh, before breakfast. So that, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a huge believer of taking care of yourself first um, so that you can take care of others. Um, and I really feel that way. When I kind of serve myself, my needs first, um, I can really focus on serving um, others for the rest of the day. So kind of having a, a good morning routine how it's, it's how what's the time duration of your morning routine those four those four components um about two hours so i wake up around like like five i'm, I'm a morning person so i like mm -hmm. to wake up earlier than later mm -hmm. um so like around 5 30 between 5 30 and 6 and you know you know those four activities and takes take about hour and a half two hours got it yeah look i'm a huge believer in and practitioner myself i have my own morning practice and it's, it's kind of like once i do it once i've as i got into the flow of doing it because it took me a long time to really commit to it but now it's like brushing my teeth yeah i could go a couple days without but i start to feel pretty funky mm -hmm. same yeah so uh yeah my morning practice is usually only about man, 30 minutes but that 30 minutes really sets the tone for the rest of my day. So mm -hmm. I hear you're saying two hours, man, that's, that's hardcore and commitment, especially in this culture of, of, uh, you know, so much going on and distracting all this, not that hey, it's a choice. Yeah. Um, but whether two, two hours or 30 minutes or 10 minutes, mm -hmm. just d do something. Yeah. You agree? Yeah, totally. And I have the luxury of time right now, especially, you know, with the paternity leave. So oh, when yeah, I yeah. go back to work, I might reduce that time to maybe, yeah. maybe an hour or maybe 30 minutes. But yeah, yeah, it's not about the length of the time. It's actually about the, the habit that's important. Yeah. yeah. Well, Shu, uh, where can our listeners learn more about you, get your book, learn more what you're up to? Where can we find you? Yes. I have a website, uh, which is shumatsuopost.com. And you can learn about my recent work. Um, you can learn about my book. And you can also go to Amazon and type in, I took her name or uh, type in my name in the search bar, uh, shumatsuopost to get my book. I think it's available in all Amazon pages uh, across the globe. So, um, and I'm active on um, Instagram at shumatsuopost as well. Beautiful. And of course, I'll put all of that information in the show notes um, on the podcast webpage, brianreeves.com slash men this way, just in case you're driving uh, at the gym, bicycling, I don't know, doing some work on the roof, whatever. Uh, don't worry about memorizing all of that. Um, it'll be in the show notes. So uh, Shu, thank you so much, man. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for sharing your experience and your insights. And um, 
Uh, may you continue your work, continue to inspire and serve other men on their own journey to awakening. Brian, thank you for your time and inviting me to be on your podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. All right, man. Be well. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Shu Matsuo Post. Find Shu at Shu Matsuo Post, S-H-U-M-A-T-S-U-O-P-O-S-T dot com slash E-N for English. Uh, and find his book on Amazon. I took her name. And of course, his website as well as a link to his book will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash men this way podcast. If you were served by this and think others should hear it too, please share this episode or just write a review so you too can lead more men this way. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.